This morning, I would like to share a message with you, um, and I'm going to go first up to Colossians chapter number three. I'm going to share a message with you this morning called Your Hidden Life, Your Hidden Life. Now, some of you are nervous kind of instantly as I said that, Your Hidden Life, because uh, we come into uh, to a place like this and we go, we wonder what they're going to find out about me, and, uh, and sometimes we can be insecure about thoughts and feelings and, and lives that we have that nobody uh, knows about. And so you, can't, you might be thinking to yourself, of all the days I chose to come to church, I chose this day when they were going to talk about my hidden life. But you're going to be encouraged this morning. Colossians chapter number three. I'm going to read two scriptures and uh, then we're going to go through this. Uh, Colossians chapter number three and verse one. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. Um, And let's read it together. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if God has made you new, if you're a a new creation, if you're no longer the old person, if then you have been raised with Christ. You see, there's this thing that the Bible tells us about where when Jesus died, it tells us in Romans 6 that we died with him. And when Jesus was raised, we were raised with him. And so his death was the death of our sinful selves and his resurrection was the resurrection of our new life. And that's why the Bible promises new life. What God wants to do in your life is he doesn't want to pander around the little sinful actions that you may have and, and, and critique and nitpick every little uh, issue in your life. God isn't trying to trim the branches of your tree. He's trying to uproot the whole thing from the bottom, from the base and give you a brand new life. And so it's not just behavioral modification. I'm not sure what your experience of church or the gospel or preaching has been in the past, but my uh, role and, 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 the, and the, the role that the Word of God plays in our lives is not just to fix little things about you so that you're more socially acceptable to God. Does it make sense? It's to give you a brand new life. Not just to fix something that's, that's broken, but to replace it completely. And so, and so, so Jesus doesn't just, doesn't just change our life, but he, he, it's not a changed life. It's an exchanged life. He gives us a brand new one. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You're a new person. So seek those things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That right hand of God is the full authority. He reigns, he rules. That's where Jesus sits, and that's, we seek those things that are above, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, set your minds. Now, that, that's an action there. You can see it's, it, it, there's, there's, a, there's a command there. Put your mind on. Think about this. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died. You have died. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just say, you've died. Turn to the person on the other side, your second choice, and just be like, you're dead, man. You're dead. All right? You have died, and your life, your life, where is your life now? This new life, where is it? It's hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. I also want to read Matthew chapter number 7 and verse 24 to 27, an image that you may have heard uh, before, uh, but so powerful uh, when we look at it. It comes right at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which basically spans across uh, three chapters of the Bible. And he comes right to the end of it in, in, in Matthew seven twenty-four, And he says this, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is not really talking about a house here. He's talking about your life. 
everybody who, who does these things, who puts his faith in the things that I have said, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about the foundation of your life. The foundation of an authentic spiritual life. How we get to walk with God in authenticity uh, in integrity, being real about who we are and, uh, and knowing who Christ has called us to be. So let's go ahead and, and pray together this morning, and then we are, are, are going to talk about that a little bit. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are our life, that we're not running after life here. We're not trying to find life in, in the corners of this world, but God, we find it in you. We've already found it. We're established. We're rooted. We're grounded. We thank you, God, that having been rooted and grounded and established in your love, we can discover our identity. We thank you this morning, Jesus, that every one of us, where we have sought our identity and other things, will be encouraged and inspired by your Spirit to put our faith in Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on you, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you for your word. We humble ourselves before you this morning, and we give you all the glory and the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, if you've ever done any work around the house uh, or wanted to change a light bulb or, or get something that's high up in a cupboard, uh, chances are at some point or another, a ladder wasn't kind of nearby or at hand, and you decided to put together uh, kind of a makeshift ladder. Has anybody ever tried that? Okay. Anybody ever been seriously injured as a result of that? I mean, we start doing this really, really young. Um, I remember uh, as a child once watching Tarzan and thinking that swinging on vines, I don't know about you, but for me, that's still like a bucket list thing to swing on a vine from tree to tree. It just looks absolutely amazing. So impractical, but it uh, looks amazing. And, and so I tried to do this in my, in my room once. Um, as, as, a, as a child, I went into the garage I got a tow rope that my dad had, this bright yellow tow rope, and uh, I tied it. You know when you have cupboards, and then you have those little cupboards on top of the cupboards with the little doors, and I, and I put the rope around. I didn't do my maths properly on this, though. I didn't do the maths of the weight versus the force and the momentum of swinging or whatever, but I, I tied it on, and, uh, and I actually I stood on my bed, and I made the Tarzan noise, and I tried to swing. Obviously, the door broke straight out of the thing. I fell on a bunch of toys. I broke toys and things in, within myself as well. I mean, there was just a lot of disappointment happening in that moment. But, but, but we, we can oftentimes uh, do that kind of thing where we, we, we think that certain things are strong enough to hold us. I, I remember uh, when we were on holiday uh, once, uh, my, my dad decided to paint the roof of this uh, little uh, cottage that we had. And, uh, and it was quite high up. And he, again, we couldn't find a ladder. And so it was on this farm that we had, and my mom and all of us kids, we went to town. We were going to be away for a couple of hours, and my dad said, oh, he's going to paint the roof while we're gone, uh, but he couldn't find a ladder. And so uh, he found a table and a chair, which is obviously the next best thing, right? Uh, a great little scaffold. And, and, and he, he got up, getting up was fine, but when he got down, uh, the foundation <laughs> that he tried to lower himself down onto was just rickety. And, uh, and as you can imagine, it gave way halfway as he was trying to come down. 
And we came back, and, and I think he tried to get down sometime mid-morning. We came back late afternoon. My dad was still lying on the concrete, just, just lying there. He, we left him there for like three days. He was just couldn't move him. Um, and and, and that's, that's the danger. That's the risk of not having a solid foundation. If you've ever been involved in a building project or, or if you've ever built a house or if you've ever seen how they build a building, you can mess around with a lot of stuff, but you cannot mess around with the foundation because the foundation is the thing upon which everything will be built. I heard a story of Ravi Zacharias. Some of you may know, know him, a well-known Christian uh, professor and lecturer and apologist. And, uh, and, and he was on his way to a university one time, and, and he was going to go and, and, and preach at this university and, uh, or, or, or give, deliver a lecture. And as he was being driven, uh, they drove past a specific new postmodern art center called the Wexner Art Center. And Ravi Zacharias kind of turned to the driver and said, that's such an interesting building because it was completely built with this postmodern mindset where everything is basically senseless and nothing really connects anymore. So you had staircases going nowhere and pillars that support nothing. And, uh, and, and just this, this very conceptual, strange art center built in this postmodern kind of sense. And, uh, and the guy explained it to Ravi Zacharias and he looked at it for a while. And then he looked back at the guy and he said, did they do that with the foundations? And the guy looked back at him and said, no, you can't do that kind of stuff with the foundations. So in our lives, there's a lot of stuff can, can sometimes be senseless and can be out of whack and can, can kind of seem like it leads nowhere. But once you start doing that kind of stuff with the foundation, you find that your life can end in a very broken place. And for a lot of people, that's actually where their insecurity in life and their problems in life stems from, is what is your foundation? What is the foundation of your life? If we're going to build solid lives and a solid church, and, and, and if you're going to build a solid family, and, and, and you're going to fulfill the, the call of God on your life, if you're going to have a solid relationship with God, you cannot build your life or your foundations on shifting sand. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about those who put their faith in me. They are like a person who, who puts their life on something solid. But, but if you're going to base your identity, the foundation of who you are as a person, on, on, on shifting sands, things that change all the time. If you're going to base your foundations on, 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 on how much money you have, that's where you get your identity from. Or what your friends think about you or, 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 or what you can achieve through your life. Those things go up and down. They shift. It's like sand. If you've ever built a sandcastle and put hours into it and then come back the next day and gone, I can't believe it's all ruined. It's because you built with something that was shifting, that's not permanent, that's not solid. And so we want at Anchor for every one of you, God's heart is for us to know who we are, to, to have a solid foundation, to not have that kind of life that moves with the tides. Jesus speaks about this. He says, the man who doubts, the person who doubts, now, not when you're asking for something and then you're like, I hope I'm not doubting, I hope I'm not doubting. Oh my gosh, is me hoping that I'm not doubting, me actually doubting? I mean, if you've ever done that, that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about when you are not sure about who you are in Christ, when your faith and your foundation isn't firm. The Bible says that you are like a wave of the sea that's tossed and thrown by the, wa by the, by the wind. It's not secure. It's not steadfast. It's not an anchor. It's not solid. So what does your hidden life look like? If we're going to get down to your foundations this morning, 
what does your hidden life look like? Because we all have hidden lives, okay? I have, I have a hidden life. We all have the, the, this, these shadow selves that we aren't always honest about, these thoughts and these feelings that we think if people knew, they would completely reject us. If people knew what we battle with in the middle of the night when, 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 when our mind starts running and the, and, and the, the temptations that we face and, and, and just the self-doubt and the, and the kind of that, that midnight of the soul kind of moments, if, if we feel that, that if people knew that, uh, they, they wouldn't even want to hang out with us anymore. We all have those private lives. We all have private conversations with ourselves in our heads. And sometimes we do this while other people are talking to us. I mean, this is happening, you know, those moments when somebody's talking to you and, and, it's, and it's getting deep and they're, and they're talking about something really important and for some reason you just zone out. And you just start thinking about the most arbitrary things. Specifically in my case, I sometimes start analyzing facial features. Now, don't be freaked out when you talk to me later. I'm, I don't do it all of the time. But, but you would just kind of stare at them and then go, I wonder, in your, in your mind, just a random thought, I wonder if he knows that his one eyebrow is slightly higher than the other. I don't know if he knows. You know? and, and, and then we're like, whoa, whoa, he's actually talking to me. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And we have those private thoughts. Come on. How many, how, am I alone here this morning? Come on. We have those private thoughts where you're like, you go there and you're like, where have I just gone? Come back, come back. And... Uh, and so we have these private areas of our lives. I remember um, when we wanted to plant Anchor Church, um, a team of us, about 12 of us, drove down to Belito to go and visit a church at the end of last year, and just to go and see what they do. And we, all, we rented one big house uh, that had 12, uh, 12 bedrooms, and it had a pool table, and it had a table tennis, and, and a nice pool. We didn't know how nice the house was going to be when we got there, and we took forever because we could only leave after work. There was traffic. We took forever to get there. I think we only got there at about 11 or half past 11 at night, and then we saw how amazing this house was, and we were only going to be there for two nights, so we, uh, so we were like, we're capitalizing. There is no way we're going to bed right now. Um, we, we actually went to this little pick and pay that was attached to a garage. We bought all this food that we needed. We came home, we were like, let's make sandwiches, but not just normal ones, like chip sandwiches. You know when you take like carbs and you put carbs on top of the carbs and then you put some more carbs on top of the carbs that's on the carbs already and then you eat that at 2 a.m. Uh, it's really, really healthy. We did that. Um, and, uh, and then we were like, we were so typically from Joburg because we were like, hey, let's go to the beach. I mean, it's, it's, it's middle of the night. People are sleeping in, and, and, and I'm sure everybody's like, oh, must be a bunch of guys from Joburg because we... We got up, all, all 12 of us, and we walked down to the beach, and we sat down there on the beach, and uh, I mean, Simon had his little brother's guitar, this little guitar, and he was playing 8 Mile. Uh, Callan knows the words. I still don't know why Callan knows the words to 8 Mile, but we were, we were just hanging out on the beach, middle of the night, and uh, just having a good time. We got back, we all went to bed maybe at about 4 in the morning, and the next morning, I was exposed to the hidden life of many people. I was exposed to what a person looks like after two or three hours of sleep. You know, you know when, you, when you see somebody in the morning, if you're married, you'll know what I'm talking about. You know, you, you see somebody, and it's just like, that's not what you looked like last night. And I wasn't sure for some of them whether to say good morning or to drive out demons. I wasn't sure exactly what to do. But, but we all have those hidden lives. But what the Bible is saying to us is that even though we have so many doubts and so many things that we go through and so many, so many uh, hidden parts of ourselves, ultimately God wants to shine a light on every part of that. 
because there's no more condemnation in Christ. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. And what God wants to do is he wants to give us another kind of hidden life, which is this life where we are hidden with Christ in God, where we're no longer living according to the frailty of our humanity here on earth, but we're actually rethinking our lives and, 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 and about ourselves. We're, we're reestablishing our foundations. It's like, it's like coming in and clearing a, a foundation that was there so that God can lay a brand new one. And when we think about ourselves, we no longer think according to earthly things, but we think about ourselves as hidden with Christ in God hidden in God. This is where this secret strength, some Christians, and not all of them are like this, but, but when you find mature Christians, they have this secret strength about them. I mean, the, the Bible even, or, or, or history even tells us about, about when under the Roman Empire, as Christians were being fed to lions and Christians were being burned at the stake, often in the Colosseum and in, and in different public places, that these people, they were so frustrating, these Christians, to the Romans because they would often be singing hymns while being burned to death. They'd often be, have the biggest smiles on their faces. You know, it's like, it's like Stephen who gets stoned and, and with the last little bit of energy he has left, he gets up on his knees and he goes, God, forgive them. That's frustrating if you're a Roman. That's frustrating if you're trying to hurt somebody and you're trying to end their lives and there's just the strength that cannot be broken. What is the secret strength of a Christian? What is this, the secret strength of our lives? And, and how can we live these authentically spiritual lives? What does it mean to be spiritual? Have you ever just thought about that question? What does it mean to be spiritual? I get this often as I'm talking to people. I, I speak to them about, you know, hey, how are you? If, I, if I've met somebody for the first time, what do you do? And they'll tell me what they do. And then inevitably they kind of like, okay, so what do you do? And, and, and I almost by that point hoped that I had kind of gauged how they would respond to this answer. But, but I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. And, uh, and then they, you know, they have varied kind of reactions to that. Um, but immediately what I find most people who aren't Christians will say to me is they go, well, I don't believe in God but I am a spiritual person. Like I am spiritual. I don't believe in God necessarily, but I do think that we're all gods and, and there's like, and, and what does that mean to be spiritual? For a lot of people, you know, it basically means going to yoga class. Uh, it basically means donating funds to the SBCA or if you're really spiritual, you can even volunteer there. And, 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 and you'll, you'll, you can kind of notice these spiritual, these spiritual people that are spiritual when they, they squint a lot and nod their head slowly a lot and, and, and say things that, that seem very deep, you know. So, so they're like, they'll go like, yeah. You know, there's more to life than what we can see. I'm spiritual, you know. Let's go, let's go do yoga. Let's go have sushi. Organic milk, please. You know, that's, that's what a lot of people equate being spiritual with. But what does it really mean to be spiritual? There's only one way to really live a spiritual life because there's only spiritual death and spiritual life. And spiritual life is only found in Christ. Everything else is like an emotional yearning with no true substance. What is a true spiritual life is to be hidden with Christ. It's to have the life of Christ on the inside of you. And, 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 and I love how God created us as spiritual beings. In Psalm 139, 
verse 15 and 16. Psalm 139, 15 and 16. It speaks about how every single one of us was created. This is what it says. This is, this is David, and he's writing to God. And he says, he says to God, my frame, my frame, this, this, this outline of the person that you've created me to be was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, God's eyes, saw my unformed substance. Now just stop there for a moment. You don't have a body yet. God's still weaving you together. And, 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 and in this, this psalm, uh, David writes and he says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You put me together. You knit me together in my mother's womb, David says. And he says, but, but God, you saw me before I even had this physical appearance. Before I, I was even there, I had an unformed substance, a spiritual substance. In your book, in the book of God, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. You see, when, when God created you, he created you in this secret place. And it wasn't this kind of mishmash and, a, and, and just a crazy kind of mishap of an, of an occasion. It was God poured over you. He took time, and that, that word there, intricately woven together. Not only did God put you together, not only did He see your unformed substance, not only did He have this, this secret place with you and Him, but, but when He put you together, He had days that He ordained for you to live out. People that he would use you to influence. People that he would bring across your path. God had a journey in store for every one of us before there was even one of those days yet. This is how God created us. When I was reading the scripture, I, I was reminded of when my, my oldest son, Eli, was born four years ago. And at that time when he was born, I just didn't want to miss a single moment. And so I actually booked a bed in my wife's room um, so that I could be there. It didn't feel so glamorous at 4 a.m., um, you know, after the baby had been awake the whole night. But, but, but I wanted to be there, and I didn't want to miss anything. And the next morning, I remember they took him out for a while, and they brought him back. And in the morning, they put this one-day-old, not even a full day yet, old baby in the bed next to me. And he kind of lay on his side. I still have a photo of it. And he, you know, he was still a little bit swollen, and, and uh, his airways weren't completely clear yet, and he was making these little wheezy sounds. Just this little sleeping, wheezing little baby in my bed. And, and in that moment, I felt like there was, there, was, there was that secret place with me and my son. Like I poured over him. I wanted to look at every little feature on his face. And, and I, just wanted to, I just wanted to feel his skin. I just wanted to feel his hair. I just wanted to look at him. I wanted to smell him. You know, sometimes babies smell great. Other times they don't. But, but I just wanted to, I wanted to just take in everything about this boy. And when I read the scripture in Psalm 139, it, it kind of, I, I get that heart. That the heart of the father towards you is not that, oh, let's, let's just create another human. Oh, there's another one. Oh, let's see if that one goes okay. No, he poured his life over you. And when we lost our way, he sent his own son to die for us so that he could bring you back into that, that secret place with him, that hidden life, hidden with God. So when, when we're hidden with Christ in God, I feel like God brings us back to that place where we were created, the people that we were created to be. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. 
We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every single one of us here today, and as a community, as a group, God has works for us to walk in. He's prepared a journey for us. It's, it's not by accident that you're here this morning. It's not by accident that we are in Joburg, that we happen to be around Joburg, that you met the person that met you, that the friend that brought you brought you. It's because God has prepared good things for you to walk in, and He wants you to know those good things. He wants you to experience them. So essentially, we are spirit. God created us as a spirit. Now, I want to I just explain something around how, who you are as a person that will hopefully help you understand how God wants to work in your life. First of all, who are you at the core of your being? You're a spirit. You're that unformed substance that God created. And this is what separates mankind from all, of, all other life on earth, is that when God created man, the Bible tells us when he stood before Adam, Adam had life, the bios life, the biological life, like trees and plants. But then God breathed his spirit, his ruach, his, his, his life into us, into mankind. And it says, and man became a living being. That's why we can have, that's why you don't have, uh, you, you know, dogs and cats getting together for, for church services, you know. Uh, cats wouldn't anyways, but, but dogs maybe. And but that's why you don't have it, because they don't have that ruach life. They only, have, they only have biological life. But we have a spirit. That's essentially the core of who we are. And that's the level at which God communicates with us. God isn't interested in just speaking to your mind or speaking to your emotions or speaking to your will or, or speaking to your, you know, uh, even audibly. That's why so many people want to hear the audible voice. But that's not how God primarily speaks. He speaks to the heart. He deals at the foundational level of who you are. God's not interested, first and foremost, about surface level stuff. Some of you think that way about God, that when you come in here, all he wants to do is make sure that on the outside you look okay. He doesn't. He wants to go right to the heart, right to the heart. It's like when you, when you go to a party and there's a lot of people and there's one specific person that you want to talk to and you're so determined to talk to them that you literally push past everybody else and just go straight to that person. God pushes past what you did over the weekend. God pushes past the failures that you've had in, in, in your yesteryear. God, God pushes past all of those things and he goes straight to your heart and he goes, I want to speak to you. The foundation, the fundamental level of who you are. Because we've been created in the likeness of God. And that's where God abides. He lives there. So some people think that God walks in, has a conversation with your heart, and then leaves. And then, and then you have to work really hard to get him to come back, send him invites to this party again, and hope he'll come back and speak to your heart again. He doesn't. He lives there. He moves in. If your faith, if then you have been raised with Christ, you are hidden with Christ in God, you live there. You abide in him and he abides in you. That's what the scripture tells us. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. And so there's this very intimate relationship that's ongoing, that isn't changed by your thoughts or your feelings or the way that you live your life. Romans 8 says this, 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You're a child of God because God is, being, is leading you in your, in your heart. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. This is not something that we're afraid of. 
But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, as children of God, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. There's that intimacy. It's like Daddy God, just this closeness. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. There it is. God's Spirit speaks to our spirit that we are children of God. And that relationship is not based on fear. That relationship is not based on all the religious hoops that you feel you have to jump through in order to have a relationship with God. There are no religious hoops. You haven't received the spirit of slavery when Jesus came into your life. You received a spirit of adoption, that you are a child of God, and you cry out, Abba, Father. It's a closeness. It's a foundation. It's a heart. And Ezekiel, God says, he delivers this prophecy through Ezekiel. says, I will take your heart of stone from you, and I will give you a heart of flesh, one that you may know me. God doesn't want to deal with us on the outside. He wants to give you a new heart, a new foundation. So we have a spirit. On top of that, God has given us a soul. And your soul is the seat of your personality. It's, about, it's what makes you unique. It's, what's, it's, what, uh, it's, it's your emotions, the way you feel, your specific temperament, your characteristics, your, your mind, your will. Uh, all of those things are caught up in your soul. And your soul can respond to different influences. Your soul can either be influenced by the Spirit of God within you, and you can bring your soul into submission to your spirit, or it can be led by your external influences and what you see with your eyes. Have you ever gone to the mall and been, you know you have no money and you know you shouldn't be in the mall in the first place and you're just going to go drink some coffee and then while you're walking there, you develop needs and desires that you didn't have when you walked in. You didn't even think you needed new shoes, but now you saw them and now you want them, right? That's how the devil works, ladies. That's how the devil works. Because what he does is, he shows you stuff from the outside. And that, the devil always works from the outside in. God works from the inside out. He comes from the outside and he shows you something and it triggers an emotion. It triggers uh, a feeling. It triggers a thought. And oftentimes those are lies. I'm not good enough if I don't have those shoes. People won't love me if I, if I don't look a certain way. I need to conform to, oh, I see these people around me, how they're living. If I'm going to be accepted, I need to live these in this way. And in that way, we allow our soul to deceive us rather than being led by the Spirit of God. And so we have a spirit, we have a soul, and then you have a body. And your body is ultimately a slave. It's neutral. It'll either be led by the Spirit of God or it'll be led by your soul and your, and your fleshly desires. But it's a slave. It's like a hammer. You can use a hammer to, to build a house or you can use a hammer to kill somebody. It's neutral. And it's how it gets used. And so that is how we are made up as people. So I say all of that to ask you the question again, what is your foundation? From what place are you living your life? What is the foundation from which you live day by day? Now, it's the Christian answer we know, but truly in your heart and your life, are you living according to are you drawing your identity on, on the things around you, on what you can do, on what you can achieve, on what you have? Or are you tr do you truly know who God has created you to be? I thought about this. If somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night, have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and asked a question? You normally get pretty, you either get swearing or pretty honest answers if you, if you do that. And 
if somebody woke you up in the middle of the night and put a gun to your head and they asked you the question, who are you? I mean, your first thought might be whoever you want me to be, but when you get serious and they put that gun to you and said, who are you? What is the gut level response that you have to that question? Is it, well, I, I, I'm a doctor or, well, I'm, I'm a student or, or uh, I'm, I have money or, or I drive a nice car or my friends seem to like me? What, what is the thing that when somebody puts a gun to you and says, who are you, is the deepest level of your self-awareness? Because what I believe that God wants to do in establishing a new identity in our lives is that the deepest understanding that we have of ourselves is that God loves us. When you think about yourself, He wants you to think about the fact that He loves you and that you're accepted and through the blood of Jesus, you have been made righteous and whole and perfected. That you are called, that you are gifted. That's the, that's the depth of it. I don't know if you've ever stood and looked at yourself in a mirror for a couple of seconds. After a few seconds, it gets awkward. I mean, the first thing you notice is that your face begins to look a little bit strange. And then for some people, oftentimes it's, too, it's almost too much. It's too honest. It's too real. You know, when, 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 you, when there's no people around anymore and you're not pretending anymore and you're not at church on a Sunday morning and you just go and stand, you're brushing your teeth and all of a sudden your eyes catch your own eyes because uh, it's a mirror and you, and, you, and you look and you just, wow, that's, that's me. And I had one of those moments this week, just battling through a lot of stuff, standing in front of the mirror going, okay, wait a minute. And in a moment there, you can be tempted to doubt every single thing about you. I don't know if you've ever had these moments. I have. And you know what I said to myself after looking to myself, looking at myself for a while? Faith rose up in my heart. I looked myself in the eye and I said, you are the one who God loves. You're the one whom God loves. You are called. You are righteous. You have become the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. And I walked away secure. Secure. It doesn't matter what people think about me then anymore. You see those outside influences. The, when, when, when you live from your foundation, the influences from the outside begin to, to not have the same effect that they used to. The voices of people, those condemning voices that you used to have in your life where, where, that maybe you've walked around with since you were a, a child, rejection that you've experienced and betrayal that you've experienced and, and hardship that you've gone through and, and words that friends have said to you and things that people have spoken over your life. All of a sudden, those voices become detached because you know who you are. I remember playing a cricket game. Uh, I hadn't played cricket for years, and a friend invited me to go and play a cricket game, a club game, against some, I think, third-level club team. And, uh, and we went out. It was at Wits University, and they put me in a bat at number three. I'm like, guys, I literally haven't played cricket in 100 years, and they put me in at number three, and there was this bowler that was just decimating guys. I mean, he was just so, he had already uh, taken out like three or four other guys while I was standing there. Uh, he was so quick, and I knew it came to his last over. And I said, we had already made enough runs in the previous over. I don't need to risk my wickets playing for this guy uh, or trying to play him. And, and, and in a very real sense, I wasn't a part of that team. I didn't really care that much if we won or lost, or I wasn't trying to build an innings uh, and a career and, and, and a season. I was just there for the fun. And so in a very real way, I felt detached from the actual emotion of the moment. And this guy had a couple of balls left, and, and he came up to me 
uh, and he said to me, I'm going to bowl you a bouncer. Now you hit it for a six. And if there's one thing, if you want me to not do something, tell me to do it, right? That Maybe you're the same. If you want me to not do something, then, 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 then tell me to do it and I won't do it. Um, and so he comes up and he says, do that. And I decide I'm not going to even try. So he bowls me a bouncer and I just let it go. And he gets the ball back and he goes, I'm telling you, I'm bowling you a bouncer again. Hit it. Hit it now. And so I decide not to. And he bowls again and I just let it go by. And this guy gets visibly angry. He's going, I'm, and I don't even understand what was going on in his head, but he was really angry. He started swearing at me. He bowled me another bouncer and I just let it go by. And the fourth time it was four balls, he did the same thing and I didn't even lift my bat once to try and hit it. And after the over was, now his innings was, or his, uh, his overs were done, he walked up to me and he just started just letting off all this frustration, swearing at me, calling me names. And I looked at him and I just said, dude, I don't care. I just, I'm not feeling what you're feeling. I'm sorry that I can't engage with you emotionally here, but I'm not, I'm, I just, my friend invited me before. I haven't played in years. I borrowed these pads, dude. That's not even my bat. I'm sorry that I didn't, you know, hit the ball, you know, and and there's this detachment. Now, what happens is, is that I was secure in who I was. I didn't, and when we're secure in who we are in Christ, the devil can give all kinds of commands and people can come and shout stuff and they can call you names and they can say things about you, but you're kind of like, I can see that you're frustrated, but it's, I'm secure. I'm secure. I know who I am. I'm not affected. This is what God wants to give us, a solid identity that we are the one whom Jesus loves. John had this identity, John 13, 23. He's writing this and he says, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. That's John writing about himself. How does he write about himself? Like in the third person, just one of these disciples, hmm, wonder who it could be, the one whom Jesus loved, you know, he, that was his identity. He saw himself as the one that Jesus loved. I, I love Brennan Manning and his books. Uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel is a book I'd recommend every single one of us reads if you haven't read it yet. Uh, but in the Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning writes this. He says, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I, I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. If you're sitting here this morning and you feel like you're a rebel, and that in your rebellious state, God is just trying to, to, to get you to not be a rebel. He's not. He's just going, I love you. In another one of his uh, books, Abba's Child, um, Brennan Manning writes this. He says, define yourself radically as beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Every other identity is illusion. I want you to know this morning that you are loved and that the love of God is not conditional. That's the foundation of your life. It's not conditional. It doesn't change. I want you to know this morning that you are forgiven. If your faith is in Christ, you have been made the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. And, 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 and that can't change. If God has declared you righteous, you are righteous. Even if you go and try and be the most unrighteous person you can, you still, in the heavenly place, your true self is the righteousness of God. And I want you to know this morning that you are called. What I'm hoping is, is that in, as individuals and as a church, we can start to set our minds on things above. If you don't want to conform to the pattern of this world, start transforming your life by renewing your mind. Who am I? Take every thought the Bible says and make it obedient to Christ. 
You have a thought, I'm not worthy, I'm not significant, I need to find my identity in what I have or in what I can do. No, take those thoughts and say, I'm loved, I'm righteous. You know what will be removed from your life? Condemnation. Do you know why people go out and sin? Because they live with a root of condemnation. The sin is just the fruit. It's feeling cut off from God. And, and when people don't know that they are loved, that they rebel. Take, take a look at this in, in even a, a natural family situation. Children that grow up in homes that know that they are loved, that feel safe and secure, they don't feel the need to go and do the things that, of those that, that grow up in broken homes. It's an identity issue. And condemnation will constantly drive you away from God. You'll never feel like you are good enough to walk with God. But if you can see yourself in a new way, you can deal with this hidden life, this shadow self, this broken identity. You can come out of that place of condemnation. I'm almost done this morning, but I want to just share a little bit with you this morning, just a little bit more, just as I, just as I bring this to a landing. I love that story where Jesus, with, with, the, with the Pharisees, bring a woman before Jesus that had been caught in adultery. And they literally throw her down in front of Jesus, kind of like, what will you do with this woman? They're testing him. And Jesus obviously says, and you've heard this story before, but Jesus says this, he says, if any of you uh, are without sin, you cast the first stone. And they all drop their stones and they walk away. And Jesus gets up and he says this, does no one here condemn you? Well, neither do I. I don't condemn you. And then he says this, he says, so go and sin no more. You see, it's only when you realize that your condemnation has been taken away that you can go and live the life that God's called you to, do, to live. Notice this, this is so important. Don't twist the scripture. Jesus did not say, go and sin no more and then I won't condemn you. He declared freedom from sin and freedom from condemnation and he said, now you have the power to live a different life. And when we truly believe the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and that we are righteous, we can go and live lives that look different. That's why that scripture says, for you have died. That scripture we read in the beginning, for you have died and your life is now hidden with God in Christ. That condemned sinner died on the cross. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Jesus, no condemnation. So we can start living according to this Christ identity. We can bring every thought captive and, and we don't have to live according to this false self, the lies and the input from the outside. We can start living with integrity. Has anybody, have you ever seen kind of these statements, maybe on an Instagram post or somewhere where people go, they'll say things again that sound very spiritual and nice, things like live with integrity. But what does that actually mean to just live with integrity? They'll say, well, the person you are behind closed doors must be the same person you are uh, when you're in public or the, or, or, or the person that you are when you, or you must do what you say you will do. And those kinds of, oh, now you've got integrity. But you know that the word integrity, talking about buildings, it's often used in, 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 in engineering. For a building to be integrous, it means that that it, it, it's got to be able to stand. It's integrated. That's where the, that's where the word comes from, from in, to be integrated. And you know how we can live authentic spiritual lives? When we can deal with the shadow selves, the areas of doubt, 
the areas of, of sinfulness, the areas of struggle. And we can be honest and we can bring them to God and we can integrate our shadow selves with our true view of who we are. We don't have to pretend anymore. We can be authentic. And you know, when you are integrated, in other words, you don't, not one way in front of people and then a completely different person behind. So you're bringing this and you're bringing integration in your life by knowing who you are in Christ. That's how you live in integrity. The Bible actually says in Proverbs that those who walk in integrity live securely. So in my life, because I've been able, I'm not afraid of my shadow self anymore. I understand that, that I've got doubts and I've got things, but I also understand that there's no condemnation. So I don't have to be ashamed. So I can be honest when I'm struggling. I can be honest when I'm weak. I can be honest when I'm imperfect because I'm not hiding in the shadows anymore. I can bring it up front and go, guys, this is me. And people will look at you and go, such integrity. Because there's no hidden life anymore. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Does that make sense this morning? I know I took a little bit too deep there. I'm coming back up. I'm, some of you are gasping for air. What the heck is he talking about? I want to conclude this morning by simply encouraging you that what God wants to do in your life is to not pander around the specifics of how you've messed up in the past. He wants to push past all of your failures, all of your mistakes, all of your doubts, all of your issues, all of your hang-ups. He wants to get face-to-face -face with your spiritual man, your spiritual woman. He wants to look at you in the eye, not shifty, not running away, not I've got to quickly check my phone, but look you in the eye the deepest sense of who you are and say to you that you are loved and you are forgiven. And he wants you to accept that and experience condemnation. Lift off your life so that you can go and live the life that God has called you to do. What's your secret strength? What's the foundation from which you live? It's the fact that you have died and your true life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen?